welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, my name's Kerry Ball and I'm joined today by Alicia. It's great to meet you, Alicia. It's great to be here, Kerry. Thank you for inviting me. Our our pleasure. I've been looking forward to hearing from you today and I'm wondering if we can start by you just telling us a bit about why you wanted to share your story on our podcast. Uh, Definitely. uh, So I'm a mum. I'm a mum of a 14-year-old now uh, who has Down syndrome and I have had 14 years, I guess, of experience or experiences of um, wanting to uh, ensure that my son has a good life. And to be able to uh, share some of these experiences, both positive and negative, to uh, for families. Uh, so hopefully they um, may learn something from it or take something from it that they will find helpful. I'm quite passionate about um, sharing the things that I learn um, with other people and they can um, take from it what they want. But, um, yeah, yeah. Great. And I like that expression, a good life. I think that's, uh, it sounds uh, wholesome, doesn't it? (laughs) It sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Alicia, from what I know of you, um, equity is something that's really important to you. Can you talk a bit about that, about what, what you mean by equity? Ah, yes. So, um, I don't know the true definition of equity. All I know is that it's. I think it's important that um, individuals uh, feel a sense of uh, belonging, feel a sense of comfort um, with other people, uh, that they have the opportunities or same opportunities uh, as everybody else does. Um, the way in which they seek those opportunities are different. Um, the resources that they have access to um, may be uh, different, uh, modified or, or adjusted. And I, I'm really keen, I'm passionate about ensuring that people uh, can work with that and know that not 
the same things aren't there for everybody and that we do need to modify and adjust things so that people can, individuals can have um, a good life. Yeah. It's inclusion. It's been um, a sense of inclusion, included, but not necessarily included that we're all included in the same way. It's about that sense of belonging and feeling comfortable that then the individual can um, kind of grow and blossom um, because they've got that um, uh, comfortability to be able to do that in that space. Yeah. I also think too, I just... I don't know where it comes from, but this sense of the human rights and everyone has everyone has a right to uh, an education, a good education, housing, food, basic rights, um, and um, they also have a right to feel good with other people, regardless of who they are. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. I wonder, Alicia, if you could give us some examples of that, maybe about inclusion and what's that meant for you and your son, even thinking way back to when he was a, a young boy in the early years. I guess, um, so my background's early childhood and I um, have been a teacher for over 25 years and equity and social justice have, have always been in the forefront for me. And when my son was born, I had this expectation that uh, society was already doing uh, a lot of the uh, equity and social justice. So I'm coming from this place of um, expectation. So when we, um, even, even in hospital, even when he was born and um, we didn't know that he had Down syndrome. I, I uh, wanted him to um, learn and hear different languages. His father is um, from another country, so we're bi we were bi bicultural uh, a couple. And the time before he was born, I um, actively worked to ensure that he heard his father's voice, heard different languages um, uh, while in the womb. And so I guess when he was born and then born with Down syndrome, which we didn't know about, I still had this expectation in the hospital that um, he was going to have his culture embraced and included uh, while he also had these health issues too. So even from there, uh, gently talking to the health staff to ensure that his father um, was close by, to allow his father to um, bond and engage with him, to hear his father's voice, to hear the languages that his father spoke as well, um, and, and also with coming home. So it's even within the house, even within the home, it was um, very much that space of ensuring that he had a sense of diversity and difference within the, within the family. Mm -hmm. And then as we... Um, uh, can sort of grow, grew into the community. Um, it's, it was sort of, at first was the incidental. So when we weren't necessarily involved in um, formalised systems, it was just that constant conversation with others. People were naturally intrigued and curious anyway. But as we um, became more involved in systems and structures like early intervention, um, preschool and so forth, um, I felt that Again, still needing to have uh, informal conversations uh, about what our what our desires were as a family, what was important for us. And so while we, say, for example, went to speech therapy, uh, I talked about how important it was that he is raised in a bilingual 
home. And while uh, they were working with us as parents with him to be mindful of what that would look like um, in, a, in a bilingual situation. Now, unfortunately, this was new for speech therapists. However, it came down to individual speech therapists who were also interested in understanding this and would often um, make, uh, send information to me that complemented uh, so by bilingual uh, families. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also through um, the membership of the Down Syndrome Association where I met another parent who suggested uh, singing, how singing was really helpful uh, for for him as well. So there was this there was this sort of this informal, incidental, every opportunity having mm. to to try and find a way to show examples in a respectful situation of hoping that my son had a good life mm. or has a good life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And an inclusive life, so so inclusive in terms of um, your aspirations for your family too, about inclusive inclusive of culture, um, inclusive of being bilingual. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, and when he went to um, early childhood set setting, the early childhood centre. Uh, while we filled out forms and what do we value, what was important to us, we wrote that down, but it was also important to have those conversations with the, yeah. the teachers and educators as well. So uh, not to assume that just because it was in writing somewhere that everybody knew what was expected or what we wanted. And, yeah. again, having opportunities of having um, gentle, respectful conversations about what's important, what's in, what was important for us as a family. Mm. And working with working with the educators too. So not we we didn't expect them to have all the answers or all the the the, the songs to sing. And so we did share, we actively shared um, ourselves with his uh, educators, mm. uh, knowing that they were wanting to do the right thing. They were wanting to do what was going to be best for for our son. Mm, mm, mm. And it sounds like the speech pathologist similarly was it was curious, interested in learning and thinking about what what it meant um, about the way you wanted to to help your son have a good life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alicia, you've talked a little bit about those early years and and um, and him going to kindergarten and and so on. What about um, now that he's grown and gone through primary school in the secondary years how's inclusion been for him uh, again it's it's mostly uh it's been mostly positive uh there have been times incidentally um across every year where there's been uh times to chat with the teacher we uh were uh, again, conscious of ensuring that we maintain regular communication with his teachers. Uh, we um, actively sought that communication, but it didn't just start straight away, right, this is our son, this is what you've got to know and, and so forth. It, it was gentle over time in terms of, yes, this is who he is, he has Down syndrome, and um, I would often say to the teachers, I've never raised a child let alone a child with Down syndrome. And so let's do this together. Yeah. And 
the relief I saw on the teachers' faces, um, you know, first time meeting us and not knowing what expectations, what was going on, and having that conversation, having a chance just to get to know each other and hearing the teachers' um, stories of whether they've um taught children with Down syndrome or perhaps there was a family member with Down syndrome or they knew nothing or nobody about Down syndrome and wanted to know more. Mm. I also shared with them that please ask if you don't know to ask. We're willing and wanting to share with you and work with with teachers together. Um, And then in terms of um, being actively involved in his in the curriculum so when he would bring home work or when there was newsletters that went out um, and in terms of what the each year was doing I would tap into the teacher I would email the teacher and say hey I noticed in the newsletter this was happening um, is there anything you need from me and I was always wanting to come from a helpful place a supportive and helpful place Having said that, there were times where uh, there were things they did that we were not happy with um, and really uh, upset, was very upset, and it was around um, the, I guess, the definition of what I saw inclusion and how they saw inclusion and coping. And it was often during lunch times. And um, our son would often um, take his clothes off and as a sign of distress, a sign of unsure and overwhelmed. And uh, often teachers didn't know what to do or they hadn't experienced that on a regular basis, hadn't experienced it at all. And from conversations, um, we had some strategies. And then we found out that uh, they had decided to at lunch times for him to go and visit the preschool. And the preschool was right next door to the school that he could go and visit the preschool during lunch times, um, which um, when we found out about, and I think it, again, it was an incidental. Um, in fact, I don't remember. I was quite, I was quite livid in terms of uh, I asked were other kindergarten students going to visit the preschool? Were other year one students visiting the preschool? The answer was no. And questioning and unpacking that with them, what was the reasons behind it? Um, Really having to make an effort to um, control my emotions um, for both of us um, and to find out what was going on. And I understood it to be a sense of a coping strategy for the teachers and teachers on duty and uh, unpacking that. Now, while it was a coping strategy and I wasn't 100% happy with that, we compromise because here's us as a family are going, no, we want him to be included. We want him in the playground with all the other children. And here from their formal situation, they were finding it very difficult to cope and work out Um, strategies after strategies and this worked and he uh, seemed okay and seemed happy he seemed safe as opposed to having taking his clothes off and trying to run out the school gate Mm. so the compromise was uh, well if that's the case can he take some friends with him 
could he take one or two friends with him? So it wasn't like he was being segregated or that he was being punished. Um, and while they reassured us that he wasn't being punished, I said, well, it was the, the unconscious stuff. Like his friends aren't there with him. So could his friends go with him? They thought that was a great idea. And so every day he was able to take one or two friends um, with him to, to the preschool. Um, during that lunchtime uh, until things settled down. And then I asked uh, a couple of weeks later, I said, so when will this end and how will we transition him back? So I don't want him to expect that that's what he does every lunchtime mm. with that. So talking again about that transition um, back into the main um, playground um, mm. with that. And then in year one, I think it was halfway through year one or year two, I mentioned, I said, I, I, I don't want our son to be going to the preschool. We need to look at other strategies. Um, I want us to be looking at other strategies around that. Hmm. Another example um, often was if he had misbehaved in the playground, we would get a phone call. I would get a phone call. And I got a sense that I was expected to fix it. Not that I was told this, but this, this sort of responsibility is yours. He's your son. Um, and I learned to say, well, you know, children don't just do things for the sake of doing things. So what happened beforehand, I would say? What happened for him that he took his clothes off? Or what just what happened before he yelled and screamed at another child? And often the teacher didn't know. And I said, well, I need to know in order for us to work together, we need to understand what's going on. And look, it took many months of me saying those same things over and over again and I would get calls maybe every two or three times a week and um, finally um, the coordinator um, spoke to me and I said look I know this is a strategy that you need to use but it's not an effective strategy I don't know I don't know how to talk to him about it at the end of the day it's gone it's forgotten I said but I do know that um, something's obviously happened beforehand and please and I gave them instructions here gently saying please don't call me until you know what's happened beforehand mm. uh, so that we can work together. And it was really interesting kind of like training the staff. I was training the teachers because then I would get phone calls and they'd say, well, this is what happened beforehand. Mm. Um, and I go, great. So uh, now that you know what happened beforehand, what are you going to do about it? Mm. So um, gently giving that back to the teachers saying, this is what's happened in your space. And I know you need to let me know this. Um, but let's work on some strategies now of how we can support him um, to be able to manage his emotions or to be able to help manage, guide him um, when he's in the playground in that space. Mm. And we did. Mm. We came up with different strategies and we shared different things and it came from a place of um, I don't know all the answers and you don't know all the answers, but let's try and work together on this one. Yeah. yeah, I think that's so, it's coming through so strongly from you, Alicia, this idea about we're, we're all learning here, um, but we've got to do it together as a, a team. The other thing I'm hearing really strongly from you is you're talking about being gentle, being respectful. So you're coming into those conversations um, in, in a, in a caring, careful way, knowing that I think you said they, you, they have good intent. Um, but you're needing to work together respectfully as a team. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, 
it it didn't take me long to realise. So the world wasn't against us, and it's not us against them. Although I did feel this, I constantly sort of felt this as if I was having to continue to advocate or fight and advocate. But advocacy is not necessarily about fighting all the time. Mm. It can be gently and um, quietly guiding together um, yeah. with that. And when I worked through that and thought, hang on, let's let's do this together. This isn't an us and them. They have good intentions as well. Um, seeing that through kindness um, and, and the teachers wanting to do what they could, but also I could see a sense sometimes that teachers were wanting to ensure that we felt okay, that we were pleased with their efforts too. We all we all want to be affirmed and, and recognised of the things that we can do, that we do well in, um, yeah. and teachers are no different. With yeah, that. yeah, and, absolutely. And so recognising that too and sharing, sharing positive, happy, good stories with teachers too I think is important. Um, and sharing sometimes the things that they've learned at school that you hear at home and sharing that back to the teachers. Um, I can only tell by the look on the teachers' faces how empowering that was for them and how much it made them feel worthwhile as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. it was mm. incredible. Yeah, yeah, incredible. He's right. Alicia, you've used the word advocacy and you said advocacy is not a fight. Um you know, if we're doing it well, we we work together as a team. Have you done anything with your son to be teaching him to be an advocate for himself? And I'm interested in that because he's a he's a 14 year old now, and um, you speak with such passion that I'm guessing that you you may have done some of these things with him. Uh, yes, and I think at first it was unconsciously. Mm -hmm. uh, in the home, uh, again, it came back to being aware of what was important to us and what our values and beliefs were. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I remember like negotiations, negotiating is really important for me. Uh, being able to have my voice heard uh, as, a, as an adult, uh, as a woman, now as a mother, and now as a mother as a child with a disability in terms of I want a place to, to speak as well. And so that sort of uh, 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 trickles through uh, with our son. And I just, even with the speech therapist, I remember saying, I want to ensure that he his voice is heard and that he has a chance to say whether he likes something or doesn't like something. So, for example, at home, you know, when he was younger, he he wanted to watch TV or he wanted to put his music on, uh, and I'd say, well, you know, first let's get your your clothes, your your day clothes on, or um, let's um, go and do something beautiful first. You know, I've got to hang out the clothes first, and we'll do that, and then you can um, listen to music. Or it might be that um, a certain food that he wanted. And, but he wanted him to have his healthy food first. And so he would say what um, wasn't necessarily the best thing first. And so I would have that then going, well, here's, here's the music. Here's what you, I'd say this. And then I, I would say, but let's, let's do this first. So mm -hmm. shall we do this? And then we can do, can do this. And he would always shake his head saying no. And he would say, let's do the music or the TV first, and then we'll go and get dressed. Or then we'll go and have um, sleep time or then what have you. And I'd be like, oh, I hear you, but no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so, 
even while there were times of um, negotiating, yeah. he didn't always still get what he wanted. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you were teaching him about negotiating even when he was a, a tiny boy, but you but but you were also doing it in a what I would call a developmentally appropriate way in that sometimes um, you needed to um, make decisions uh, with him that were in his best interests. Yeah, 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 and I was also expecting, even there I was expecting him to voice, and I don't mean voice verbally because um, I'm thinking of um, families who automatically say, my child isn't vocal, and mm. I said, but he would voice visually or uh, through hand signing or he would gesture or he would go to the fridge, you know, wanting wanting the milk or wanting something, and I would stand in front of the fridge and I'd um, I'd go, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? And he'd either hand sign or he'd, he'd attempt the words or to know that he needed to show something that he was communicating. Oh, so and then I would I would um, reinforce what I thought I heard in that space. Mm. Couple of years, moving a couple of years forward, when he's talking to other people, and the other people uh, don't understand what he's saying, I would take that moment and I'd say to the adult, uh, "You need listen again," and he would have another go. And Kura would often uh, say the same thing uh, and uh, I, the adult would be looking at me and I'd be going, you have to work it out. Ask him, ask him, talk to him, mm-hmm. rather than looking at me to come up with the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd at the same time be saying to, our, to my son, uh, it's okay. They're needing to take time to understand what you're saying and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm, mm. So, yeah, you were you were modelling this for teachers. You were modelling it for other people that um, that were part of his life as well. Mm. Yeah, and and at times it felt awkward, and then at times I went, no, this is in my head. I was, in my head, I went, no, this is people need to know this. People need to work it out. Unfortunately, people need to feel uncomfortable. Um, to be able to do this. And this also with politicians. Um, he often, uh, we had opportunities to go up to Parliament House and have morning teas. And politicians, again, the intent is there. And uh, I, I would, they would look at me and I'd go, you have to ask him, talk to him, not me. I'm here for him, not for you. Mm. Um, so it, it's um, what, what's interesting to me there, Alicia, is that you were teaching them. You were teaching the politicians and teachers and other other people in your life, but you were also teaching him at that time about having having a voice, having a say, and uh, being being bold about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even now, in 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 the lockdown and home learning, um, you know, we we started out with him having you know the independence and being in your own room and. Uh, having Google Classrooms there and quite a few other students had that. But that just didn't work for him. It didn't work for us. And he sits, we have our desks together now. So I work from home and and he's doing um, Google um, classes and he's on mute. And I'll say to him, oh, so did you hear what the teacher, what did the teacher just say? You said you knew what the teacher said. And he'd say, yes. I said, okay, tell me quickly. What did he say? Oh, I don't know. We'll say that say that in the chat room or ask him and he said, I don't know what to say. So I would quickly write it down or I'd say, say, you know, Mr. So-and-so, can you repeat your words? Can you repeat what you said? And again, looking at the language around that, 
rather than saying, I don't understand what you said or I didn't get what you said, to take it away from him and to say, could you say the instructions again? So make it objective rather than always being about my son not understanding. And interesting because twice now he's done that very reluctantly, but he's done that. His teacher was so excited and enthused, so the response was really amazing. And it was interesting to watch all the other students quickly turn their cameras on and intently look into the camera as they listen to the instructions again after they all said, yes, 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 we know what you're saying. <laughs> and I'm quickly, he had his... um camera uh, he's on mute and I said look look at so and so and so and so they said yes but I think they don't really know either so you did a really good thing there by asking the teacher and to see him react and respond to that just those incidentals again and that was two weeks ago three weeks ago and he's doing it now on his own oh, how fabulous what a what a wonderful um, example and you know we use this word advocacy um but actually, this is what it is, isn't it? It is about having a voice, having a say about the things that are important to you. And and you've obviously been doing that uh, with him since he was very young. Mm. Yeah. 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 From yeah. Uh, the, the um, time when he was at, um, when he started kindergarten, so the transition to kindy, and um, we have what they call the uh, individual learning plans, ILPs, so where the school sits with their family and the student um, to assess them, to determine how much funding or how how disabled are they uh, to then determine how much funding they receive. And it's an excruciating meeting to be involved in, um, regardless of how much um, prepping and energy you use to understand that this system, by the way, that needs to change, uh, to determine how much funding an individual receives. And I, we were adamant that he was at that meeting. Mm. And what's supposed to take something like 45 minutes ended up taking an hour and a half because everyone was trying to find respectful words to say and uh, were confronted that he was in the room as well and wanting to ensure that he was part of that. Now, he didn't understand a lot of that, but then translating the language uh, for him, uh, for him to understand it in his way, which is what um, his dad and I both did, uh, to then be able to have his voice heard at that meeting also. Mm. It's interesting mm. that when he got to high school, that same process with the same outcomes, um, the school expected him to be involved in that meeting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, was, it was great. It, it's interesting, isn't it, that we, we start expecting this when children are, are getting older into the teen years. But as you've described, children can be making choices even when they're babies, they don't need speech to be making choices and having their voice heard about about things. So that's that's the pathway, isn't it, to supporting kids to advocate for themselves or have a say about things that are important to them. Yes. Yeah. It's also like the times before and after those conversations with adults too. So, uh, you know, we when we met with politicians and there were those awkward moments, I would then spend time when we would walk back to the car or driving home and I would bring up those moments and I would say to um, him that um, 
yes, I'm proud and how courageous it was for him to have patience, uh, to, to wait for the people, for the adults to understand. Uh, similar with public, in public places, I would again, in those incidental moments, informal moments, say, you know, you had courage there to be patient for that person to, to understand you. So mm. giving him that space to say this is about them, not about, not about him, um, and to feel, to encourage, uh, to find ways for him to feel empowered about those moments yeah. also. Yeah. Um, and as well as leading up to things. So um, when we were going to speech therapy or when we were going to meet a politician or when it was to see this the a teacher or a health person and you know you know the character or you might know uh, the personality of the person and I would often um, talk about their personality and say oh yes you know we're going to go and see your you know the oncology your oncologist again and you know how she says your name in such an interesting way and oh isn't that kind of funny and kind of like just to humanize those moments mm. um, partly because in the past he would he would get very upset about people not being able to pronounce his name and so he'd um, be really um, not wanting to continue and also just giving him uh, that broader picture uh, comfortably that yeah we're not all perfect and mm. and we're going to work together no we are not all perfect alicia you've given some examples all through the conversation kind of practical strategies for families but i, I think it'd be really good if we finished up on on some some strategies that you could share with others and i'm i'm interested in this you you talked about um him being courageous um but I'm uh, imagining that sometimes you've had to be courageous in the conversations you're having with other people. You, you mentioned earlier that you were you were really angry um, with some of the, the situations you've needed to manage. How how do you manage when when your your feelings are, are right up up the front and you you need to manage that before you have one of these um, what you call um, gentle conversations. Oh yes. Oh, it's um. Well, the the angry emotions are very obvious. Uh, you know, your physical body changes, and it's just clenching clenching the hands, and uh, a sign for me that that's not a good time to talk. Um, so noticing noticing the feelings, but also in terms not just anger, but um, the the sadness or uh, that sense of despair sometimes too, and uh, that that come upon us without expectation, without realising actually, and um, uh, over being able to just take a moment and accept that that's where you are in that space. I th personally, I try not to address things when I am noticing that I'm angry. Um, I have had moments with teachers and have been upset to the point of being despair and distraught but not through anger um very teary and crying and you know grabbed the tissues had a drink of water and sort of went yep okay um that's I'm feeling all right now let's let's move on but I'll often have um I'll have a couple of points on a piece of paper with me if it's a formal meeting and I'm knowing that's going to happen and prepared, I'll have two or three points of what is it that I want to be able to say in the meeting um, and not necessarily any point in time, but just to have three points there. So if I do have moments yes. overwhelmed by emotions, which have happened, um, I'm able to look at those points and it helps bring me back into that space um, when it's a face-to-face -face conversation. 
Mm. Mm. Um, often there are times where you don't see teachers or you don't see therapists for a while. Um, I personally don't vent my emotions and disappointment in emails. I don't write down um, my um, concerns in a with a with a motive. I wait until I've done that verbally to myself or my to his dad or uh, to friends and family. And then if when I go to sit down and write an email, it's coming from a place of wanting to do this together and it's around, well, I've noticed this. Um, this doesn't align with what I thought was going on or what was happening. Um, how can we work on this together? And I'll always end with questions um, mm-hmm. and they're coming from a place of helpful question, questions, not judgment questions there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, what, what, what sort of question, Alicia, do you finish on? Uh, so I start, well, first of all, I'll, I'll talk about what, what was upsetting for um, what was driving the being upset. Mm-hmm. These are some of the things we do at home. I know that school is different or I know that this is different. You may find these helpful or not. Um, let me know if they're, well, I'd like to know if you would find these helpful. Let me know if you need anything else from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming from that place of helpfulness and what I tend to get back is like two or three paragraphs of yes and blah, 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 and blah, blah, and all those sorts of things. And I'm going, great. The, the teacher is trusting, um, trusting me enough that they can share this information and then pulling out, pulling out from their email things that, that'll be a common ground for, for my son. Mm. Um, in that space mm. having said that though like I said there are a couple of times where I've been you know overwhelmed by emotions of despair and distraught and you know the hopefulness doesn't seem to be there but yet sort of seeing their intent and seeing that they want to be there for him as well um, mm. Has, mm. has helped a bit yeah yeah you, you've talked about that a few times about people with good intent people generally have good intent don't they Mm. Yeah, and it's just you know we're 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 blocked by systems. Uh, we're blocked by you know sometimes our hands are tied. And uh, my my son is not the only one in the classroom. And while I may know all the intricate things about him personally, um, his teachers know him academically. Yeah, and how we can work and complement that together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, you know stuff about him that can be helpful uh, to them. He certainly knows things about himself that can be helpful to to him, you, and them. <laughs> um, but they but they know things too, don't they? Yeah, yeah, teachers know about the curriculum. They know how to 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 teach to to be good educators. Um, they know how to do all of that work they do with large groups of children. So yes, it is about the coming together, isn't it, that you've talked about so much. Yeah. yeah. And, and and just that constant um, regular contact. And, mm. you know, that came from uh, another uh, a mum of three boys who have um, no um, or have no, at the time, no diagnosed disabilities. And just hearing incidental things from other parents too, you know, she, she said she didn't work on Mondays and so she made it her point to go to the school and say hello to the teachers and, and have those incidental conversations with teachers um, before school if, if need be. I also heard from another parent say, um, you know, kindergarten is the important year, not just for children but for families because that's where you establish the foundation of 
um, friendships with other parents. Uh, so, you know, I was working part-time and so made an intent to go and just hang out 15 minutes before school finished and you'd sort of chitter-chatter with some of the other families. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, I'm, what I'm hearing from all of that is the, the efforts you've put into just nurturing relationships um, all through his, his uh, schooling years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and it's, uh, it, it doesn't take... It doesn't take a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a lovely um, positive note for us to finish up on, Alicia. Before we do, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Oh, there's always lots of things to share, but um, maybe another time. <laughs> well, you, you'd be very welcome to talk with us another time. It's been a real pleasure having you on. I think you've helped um, unpack these things about advocacy and rights and equity, and you've made sense of them in a really practical way. So thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kerry. Thank you too for the opportunity to, to do that too in terms of um, it's also a, a chance to uh, affirm myself or reassure myself too in an incidental way that, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're doing yeah. the right thing even just wanting to ensure that our, our children have, have a good life. Mm. Yeah, mm. so thank you. Thank you, Alicia. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavik.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.